Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Popped him up, so he makes contact. And Jose will make the catch in foul territory. White Sox win in shutout fashion. Magic number from seven to five tonight, coupled with that Cleveland loss. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. David Hall, Bruce Levine, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And we are now pleased to be going out to our Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas hotline, home of the world's largest sports book, and that is where we find James Fegan from the Athletic Talking White Sox. Good morning, James. How are you? Pretty good new. I'm awake, so uh, hard to quibble with that. <laughs> well, that's a good start. A good that's start. a good sign. So, James, we're obviously as we get closer to the beginning of October, uh, the the question and, and maybe the answer changes for some fans and some media members on a daily basis. But just how good are the White Sox? And last night they're coming off an eight to no eight nothing victory over the Rangers. The, the answer last night was pretty good. Uh, earlier in the week, maybe not so much. Where are you as far as their playoff viability? I think everyone is rightfully in the dark because you probably haven't seen the White Sox play as good as you feel like they can all season long. Um, literally their best month of the season was May, which is right after they lost Luis Robert on top of Eloy Jimenez, and they're piecing together an offense that at that point, you know, is missing some of their core pieces. Um, you know, still doesn't have like a fully on fire Yasmani Grandal yet. And it was just, you know, getting good at bats from, you know, guys like Larry Garcia. And, um, you know, it's just a lot of their, um, you know, bench players. And now we're seeing a team that feels like it should be more full strength, but you're seeing the pitching staff, the rotation that carried them basically to a division title. Um, really starting to show some of the wear of the buildup from a short season to a long season, you know, to their credit, really for the first time all year. Um, I, I think you could go up and down the lineup or up and down the roster and think of a time where there's, there's no one who's had like this perfect season where they're at just playing like out of their mind the full time. Tim Harrison, you know, had a slow portions of the first half. Jose Breu had a rough April. Um, you know, Yasmani Grandal went through what he went through to, to get where he is now as far as the first low two months. Eloy came out on fire when he came back from the injured list, but now is kind of going through a, a slump right now. You, you haven't seen just everything clicking in all cylinders really at any point in the year. And, you know, it's to their credit that they're 21 games over 500 at this point, but it also makes it kind of hard to say they're going to beat the Houston Astros in a couple of weeks. Um, we, we still need to see that next level from them to really say 
you know, have a ton of uh, confidence on what they're going to do. James Fegan of The Athletic joining us uh, on Inside the Clubhouse. And James, you've seen uh, Tony La Russa at work uh, since he was hired uh, last year and now uh, the first five now into the sixth month of the season. What do you see differently about La Russa's uh, generalship now? And what do you think is the most essential thing that he brings to the White Sox experience-wise in this last couple weeks and this month in total before they go to the playoffs? I've been pretty fascinated uh, about the way he handles uh, rest schedules or kind of communicating with players about what they need the whole time. You know, Jose Abreu kind of clued us in at spring training saying that it was like the most well-managed physically spring training for him that he's ever had in his career. Um, you know, Albert Fulho said something similar when, you know, I asked him about it at the start of the season, saying that he was always able to communicate uh, with Arusa about what he needed. And obviously right now it's, it's the topic in everyone's mind to hear that Carlos Rodon is only going to start two more times the rest of the season or, you know, everyone's seeing, you know, the IELTS sense that, you know, Tamaris is able to get to kind of rest his legs. All this stuff uh, is going to look like a master move if they come out in the postseason after what was just a physically grueling year for the entire league, and all of a sudden they're fresher than everybody else, and all this has been paying off. But you've been seeing him be very adamant about every guy on the roster is going to get regular action so that they're in a good place. So when they're called upon, you know, when you're calling upon Brian Goodwin, you're calling upon Larry Garcia, uh, when you're calling upon Billy Hamilton, they've had enough reps where you can actually expect them to contribute. And the idea is that it's going to pay off with your starters as well. So that a lot of grading that, about assessing that, kind of comes with whether it shows in October. Um, I, I think it could, and especially just knowing what an unprecedented season this is, I think the way that they're able to get rest in while winning a division, uh, while injuries waylaid a team like the Twins, it's impressive on its own, but, but really the final grade for it comes in a few weeks. We saw the clunkiness of the dealing with uh, the urinator early in the year. But what have you seen, James, about his communication skills with his players that has impressed you or left you uh, longing for more? Um, I mean, I think pretty much since the beginning of the year, he, he's demonstrated really good buy-in from guys like Tim Anderson and, uh, you know, Jose Abreu and, you know, even players that, you know, may were surprised or didn't know what to think of, um, you know, when he first got hired or, you know, were kind of bristling at the early polls or, you know, late polls uh, for starters at the start of the season. Seemed to mostly come around and seemed to understand where he's coming from. I, I don't think it's perfect. I can't say that, like, there's never been any disagreements uh, with him all season because I, I know that's not true, but. I, I feel like everything we thought was going to be a fault line or, you know, was going to reach a tipping point when, you know, some of these managerial decisions seemed like they were going to, you know, explode if they keep kept happening uh, when we were talking about them in May. Uh, it just it really hasn't loomed as large or hasn't been the big blow-up or the source of conflict that, you know, we all thought it was going to be or, you know, maybe not everyone thought it was going to be when he first got hired. It's just everyone just – everything just doesn't seem as big of a deal as we feared. Talk with James Fegan from The Athletic covers the White Sox here on Inside the Clubhouse until 11. James, Luis Robertson's coming back has been terrific. You look at the slash line and it's an eye-opener. 
I think specifically, though, I love the way that you get into detail and in everything that you write, and I wonder if you have had some explanations for this. He has really cut down his strikeout rate, maybe as much as anybody in baseball. And I know it seems as if from the outside looking in or just watching as a viewer, it seems like, okay, he's not chasing curveballs as much. Maybe he's staying away from the high fastball. But what do you see when you study that a little bit closer? And, his, and, and what do you attribute the, the, the huge disparity, I think, because he is a much more disciplined and improved hitter since coming back? Uh, it's kind of the funny fix that uh, reminds me of uh, Avisayel Garcia's 2017 year. Uh, you got like this super aggressive hitter who will chase and you know get himself into bad situations, uh, or especially with two strikes, is vulnerable to kind of expanding the zone. Well, it, it's kind of hard to take an aggressive hitter and just make them into a, a patient one. Uh, that's not really what they're geared towards. So what you got to do is make them better at being aggressive. And Luis Roberts you're not going to get ahead of him um, with, you know, first pitch fastballs or show me breaking balls. He's, he's going to swing on them. He swings at more strikes. He swings at strikes. He swings at pitches in the zone at a higher rate than everyone in baseball. And if you're a White Sox coach, Luis Roberts swinging at strikes, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Um, you know, he, he's aggressive, but it's a very targeted aggressive. Um, it's, it's very much like He's not going to allow a first pitch strike. He's not going to just kind of passively let uh, guys get ahead of him and, and then get himself in a situation where he's trying to protect and his eagerness kind of takes over the at-bat. It's, it's very much like if you do anything um, that he can really do any damage on early, he, he's not going to let it by. Um, surely there's some counter moves to that, and, and certainly you know, pitchers are going to try to see if he'll chase like something way out of the zone. He's in a little bit better. Um, uh, you know, not, you know, chasing it just at awful pitches uh, this season. But really, you know, if you look at you know, the big improvements from last year, this year, it's in-zone contact, it's uh, in-zone swing rate, it's everything just being as aggressive as possible in the zone because he's got the bat speed, he's got the power to do damage on it. Like the pitch he, you know, hit 110 miles an hour or whatever last night was a fastball, you know, on the outer half at the knees. He can drive pitches like that. He's got no reason to let them go by. So uh, it's, it's just being better at being aggressive. James, uh, you sit down with Tony La Russa tomorrow, and he says, James, I, I, need, I need my rotation to start the Houston series. Um, give, me, give me your, your top three and, and why, you would, why you would pick them if La Russa asked you that question. Well, first of all, I'm very worried about him that he has now turned to me for advice. This this seems like out of character. But um, your your whole plan has been geared towards, especially with the two more starts for Rodon, which, you know, the last one would probably wind up coming in 28th, 29th against the Reds. Um, That puts you in a position where you want to start him game one because at that point he's just like you're building up over 10 days between starts. And and as much as I get the idea that you're battling against, you know, fatigue and there's only so much that you can really do to reset the clock for him. He's got to pitch, you know, more often than every two weeks. So I I think he's your number one. That's based on just the schedule and also his performance. Him and Lance Lynn is who you go with in in Houston. And those have been your horses uh, all year. And I think unquestionably, especially with the second half and, and showing that he's healthy, Lucas Giolito is still right up there as, as far as number three. I, I really, I think that those top three are pretty unquestionable. And um, 
you know, obviously there's complications with using Rodon on short rest right now, given the way his end of the season has gone. But uh, I, I think really the questions are what you do after that more than those top three, because those are clearly guys that have been a cut above uh, really all season. James, we've been debating the playoff roster, it seems like, since spring training. But it, it continues, and I think as we heard from Ozzie Guillen this week talking about, well, it could go down to the last minute. That's what he remembers doing, and you don't know who's going to be hot at the moment you, you formulate your final playoff roster. Could a guy like Romy Gonzalez sneak onto the playoff roster? Who, does that, who should that maybe make most uncomfortable if it does, in fact, go down to the last minute and no assumptions should be made? I think if you're rostering Romy, it's about probably Adam Engel, Andrew Vaughn not being healthy. Because if you have those two guys and they're looking good, that's kind of the right-handed, you know, corner outfielder. Uh, you know, you know, Romy played. I want to say right field last night, and, and that's kind of where the, the bats have been available for him. Um, because as far as like utility infielder, I, I, I can't see it necessarily going beyond. Um, I think Larry Garcia is probably going to take a lot more of those opportunities when you need a backup or, or certainly a second base uh, in a major way. That's about not having somebody to really hit lefties um, in the outfield because you have Vaughn and Angle down. If those guys are healthy and have time to really get at bat, I think they probably take that spot from him. But by all means, given that they're both currently on the IL and you, you don't know when you're going to get them back, Adam Engel has still played fewer games this season than he played last year in the 60-game season. It, there's some uncertainty there about how much you're going to be able to get him in sync and get him going in time for the, the playoffs, then absolutely you want to see a three-hit night from Roman to know that that's an option for you. James, we appreciate it very much. Thanks for the insight, as always, and the, the good humor. God knows we need as much humor on this show as we can get. Um, thanks, James. Thanks so much. And have a have a uh, have a, a great trip to uh, Texas. We'll see you when you get home. Okay. All right. Back to bed for me. <laughs> James Fegan <laughs> from the Athletic joining us here on Inside the Clubhouse. And Bruce, it was a very interesting week at a guaranteed rate field. Joe Madden and the Angels were in town, and there was a little kerfuffle uh, with the umpires and an ejection of Tony Larusa. Tony, Joe, they went at it. Well, sort of. Afterward that ejection we will have a little chin music based on that conversation when we come back inside the clubhouse chicago sports radio 670 the score call from mom answer it call silenced instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. High and inside. chin music. A little chin music. Take that hit for a ride. It's time for some chin music. Hey, yeah. How about a warning? Sure. 
Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves one, like this. It was not intentional. And the reasoning did not make sense. He felt that there was stuff flying on that first game. It was all us getting hit. And he, but he noticed all that, but they didn't do anything. We didn't do anything that day, they didn't do anything yesterday. Today we gave nine just like they did. We didn't hit anybody. Uh, we pitched Otani tough all series. He got a couple soft hits against us. And, uh, but he ruled that that was intentional and he made a mistake. And it, 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 it wasn't consistent with, with the umpiring, uh, his umpiring judgment throughout the series. Okay, welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 6-7, the score, David Hall and Bruce Levine. That was Tony Labrusa, of course, from Thursday's game where he was ejected after his pitcher, Mike Wright, hit Shohei Atani in the ninth inning after the Angels had hit three White Sox batters earlier in the series. That was Tony's reaction to getting ejected and everything that happened. And in fairness, equal time, Bruce, equal time. This is what Joe Madden, we know Joe Madden, the Angels manager, had to say afterward. It was retaliatory. We, we, uh, we had hit two hitters for them uh, inadvertently. Um, uh, Tyler hit, I think it was a Brayu pitch in. And then um, uh, the other day when Ortega slipped, he hit somebody. Okay, Bruce, Joe Madden versus La Russa, I have to say this. I don't think Tony La Russa openly said to Mike Wright, you got to do what you got to do. But you don't play for a manager who authored the unwritten rules of baseball without understanding what you're doing when your team has three batters hit earlier in the series and it's two outs in a nothing game and you've got the MVP basically at the plate. The nicest guy in baseball, by the way. I think this was intentional. I think they did the right thing. And I don't think that anybody was necessarily wrong here. I don't like using a baseball as a weapon, but I understand why the umps did what they did, and I don't buy the fact that this was, oh, oops, it got away from me. What do you think? Well, well you know, if you're trying to hit them three times and you, you, it takes three times, I think, I think that's where you're pushing it a little bit, right? I mean, what's, what's the real point? You don't play the Angels again until next year sometime, right? They're not in your division. Uh, they're not going to be in the playoffs. Um, I think, you know, the macho of, hey, we got to protect our guys, I believe in that. Uh, I, I believe that La Russa <clears throat> took uh, those things to a different level uh, at in the first portion of his career, the first 34 years. But I, 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 don't, I don't see the purpose of it right now. I, I just, you know... What if he hit Otani in the head or something? Oh, he's gosh. out, you it's know. A, I, I mean, that's a different conversation. I mean, any, Bruce. any, but uh, no, but I mean, it's, but any, you should have that thought for any player, not just the greatest superstar in the game right now. You know, I agree. it's, it's like, you know, what you said is true. It's a weapon. Um, the old macho way of looking at baseball and saying we're going to hit you. Uh, these pitchers are not trained like those old pitchers be able to hit you in the butt or hit you in the uh, the back of the ribs where you're not going to really get hurt all that bad. These days, if you tell somebody to hit somebody, 
they would they would probably freak out because they they don't have the the type of command that allows them to do it in a proper way to begin with. I am not condoning it by any stretch of the imagination. I I abhor that sort of trend. I don't like that at all. But if the question is, was there an implied, was there an implication that Mike Wright should do what baseball tradition somewhat requires pitchers to do in these situations? Yeah. I think he plays for Tony La Russa. This is almost the, the unstated, unwritten implication when you play for a manager who has a reputation for having that sharpened edge. I just think this was something that he did because nobody told him to, but maybe because he felt like he should. Did uh, Joe Madden sound upset to you about uh, it? Uh, to me, he didn't. Uh, it, no. He just said it was retaliatory. And, uh, you know, there was no venom in the way that he talked about it. It was a matter of fact. Like, you know what? That's baseball. Uh whether we hit their guys on purpose or not, somebody was going to get hit by us. Uh, unfortunately, it was Otani. And and again, you isolate the biggest superstar in baseball right now, and it, it's more glaring. You know, if it was Jared Walsh or somebody like that, it would have been lesser of a deal, I imagine, uh, than uh, the fact that this is the you know star of all stars, somebody doing things that have, has never happened in the history of the game. So... I think the person that got hit was interesting. And whether LaRusso went up and down the bench and Wright was sitting there and he said, gee, somebody uh, somebody should probably get brushed back or hit uh, after what's going on with our players. And that's the way it used to be done. Uh, or, or maybe you know, it wasn't I, I don't know if that Bruce. took place or not. Maybe yeah. it was a stare. Maybe it was a look. Maybe, maybe, Wright, maybe... Knew what he, maybe, maybe Wright knew what he was supposed to do. You know? Mike Wright but, uh, was wrong. It, in doing that, but he did what he felt like I think he, he wanted to do to endear himself maybe to the manager or just to, uh, adhere to this dated, archaic sort of baseball code. Whatever the reason, I don't believe that it was accidental. That's the question, and that's the point. And I think Joe Madden understood that in talking about, you know, the the obvious. It was retaliatory, and I don't think that anybody but Tony La Russa publicly doubted that. I would, if you took a poll, all the White Sox players, they would probably be happy that it happened, uh, hmm. and make especially because Otani didn't get hurt. But um, if you took a poll, all the Angel players, I think David, they'd probably say, yeah, you know, we understand it. We hit three of their guys, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, intentional or not. Um, that's just the way the game's played. Otani's reaction was the best. He went down to first base and he hugged Gavin Sheets. <laughs> he was so unhappy, he was laughing, you know. So he didn't seem to be that bothered by it. The umpires did, I think, what the rules called for them to do. Tony's reaction was what made this situation kind of stand out. Did he rip the phone out of the out of the, the, the dugout wall? Did he? What did he do there, Bruce? Because it looked like he. Had I think he needed tantrum. help to do that. He had, he asked the coach to help him pull it out of the wall. It's not. <laughs> It's not that easy these days, you know. The phones are more attached, and it takes a little bit more energy. But uh, I would say that, um, you know, we've taken this as chin music, and it certainly was the exact thing that we promote every week, chin <laughs> exactly. music. This is what we it was. We could pass that one up, uh, Bruce. But, but I think the Otani part just makes it uh, much more, you know, the, 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 the talking point is, is greater because of Otani.
Absolutely. And our phones work. We haven't ripped them out of the walls yet. So let's go out to the phone lines and the score listed in line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. That's where we find George in River Grove. Good morning, George. How are you? I don't have the slightest idea. But uh, <laughs> well, I will, I, I wanna, okay. I'm a sock fan forever, and uh, I, have, I have some bad news. Anyone that thinks the Sox are going to end up in a World Series should seek professional help for their delusional psychosis. They're a <laughs> bunch of dumpster divers. They're constantly hacking at slop. Their runners in scoring position batting average, especially in the late innings, is one of the worst. They're striking out with alarming frequency. I think they're in the top three. Uh, and everyone thinks they're a lot slicker than they actually are. Okay, and they, not only that, but they're not beating the winners. They're, they're having their heads handed to them by the winners. And uh, you've got to show me. And they haven't shown it. And what they, what's going to happen George. is they're going to they're strut in there, and then when they get their head knocked off, they're all going to have to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I'm not anywhere near so slick as I think I am, and I better crank up my game a little bit. No, nope, right. they're, not, they're not anywhere near where they're supposed to be. Thanks, George. Appreciate the phone call. Please George, leave. Uh, I, I wanted to talk me... to George. Well, I want to know if he, first I, I don't of know all, if he's Bruce. a I mean, Sox fan. Yeah. Do you think he was a Sox fan? No. Do you? Okay. No, I wanted to ask him how he felt in 2005 when the White Sox had blown a 15-game lead and uh, the, it got down to a game and a half uh, where the White Sox eventually – had to turn it around and how they turned it around. So I, I have I have the memory of that White Sox team and how that great pitching staff uh, came back and just you know took it away the rest of the way by being you know totally dominant. I, I could see this White Sox staff coming back healthy, David, and and possibly doing the same thing. Uh, you know that is that is what I would hope the White Sox are going into the playoffs, a team that still has dominant pitching. How did they get that 10-game lead? How did they get it so early? It happened because they had dominant starting pitching all the way through from the very beginning, and uh, that is what got them there, and that's what is, is what's gonna, what they're going to need, David, if they're going to win a World Series. George said he was a Sox fan. So I will say this. I'm one of those people that he was pointing to. I do think the Sox are going to be dangerous in the playoffs. I don't think there's going to be a correlation between their struggling, relatively struggling second half and what they do in October. That may – I'm not going to deprive him his Sox negativity. He is entitled to be as negative and walk as far off the ledge as he wants to. But don't insult me because I think the White Sox are going to be able to push a button and actually be pretty good in October. We can respect that, right? Because it's not an implausible thing to consider, Bruce, because of what you just said. Number one, we have history – on the side of the White Sox. They have had struggling Septembers before and then been pretty good in October. Number two, that starting pitching is the reason they were uh, in as comfortable of a position as they were at midseason, and they could be just as good in October. So thanks for the phone call, George. Sorry we had to cut you off, but, you know, he was was done, wasn't he? 
Uh, I guess so. I mean, you, you're the you're the lead guy on our show. You decided that, and <laughs> oh, I think they're coming me, to Bruce. get me right now. If you can hear on the outside, uh, <laughs> exactly. you know, they're they're coming for me. Uh, David, Cub fans, uh, Kyle Hendricks, okay. should he continue to pitch or not? That's the question well, we ask you when we come back. Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. What's wrong with Kyle Hendricks, and is it time for him to shut it down? Let us know. We got one more segment here inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio six seven. The score. Yeah, yeah, it's super important to me. I'm going to take the ball when it's given to me every fifth day. You know, um, I just have to be much better for this team going forward. And yeah, I'll have a lot to address in the off season, get ready for next year. But you know, at this point, yeah, we got two two weeks left. So whatever, however many starts I have, it's build my innings back up. Um, but really, it's just working on making good pitches. Get get the confidence back a little bit. Get back to the bottom of the zone and take that in the offseason. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. I'm David Haw with Bruce Levine. That was Kyle Hendricks, the Cubs' right-hander, their number one starter who has been struggling of late, Bruce. His ERA has ballooned from 3.68 just seven starts ago. And in that uh, seven-start uh, stretch, he's had an ERA of 9.08, and he has now put himself on the verge of, uh, well, he has made history. He's one of, um, he's he's yielded seven earned runs in a start and now joins John Lieber, Don Cardwell, Mel Eason, Jack Taylor as the only Cub pitchers since at least 1900 to have five games where you've yielded seven runs or more in a start. Should you shut him down now? Three starts to go. Is it time for Kyle Hendricks to call it a season? No, it's not the time now. It was like a week ago, David. Uh, there, there is just no – I would like someone to call me, uh, and you can, at 312-644-6767 and talk to David and myself until the top of the hour, and that's when uh, Rosie and Grody take over and do whatever they do, which is really fun radio every Saturday. Um, I, I don't understand what positive thing can come out of this other than Kyle Hendricks continuing to prove that he's a lunch bucket guy that goes to the work, goes to work every day, tries to be, do his best and win for the Cubs, which is admirable. But at this point, your veteran ace of the staff needs to be protected against the possibility of fatigue in these starts and injuring himself. That's what I worry about here. This Bruce, is, you know, David. Uh, Bruce, hold on. Hold on. Pick up your phone. I'll call you. Uh, uh, 312-644-6767. Hello, Bruce. It's David. Okay. This is why. He's a professional. He's getting paid this year $14 million. He is your number one starter. He throws the ball. He's not a high-velocity guy. How is he going to injure himself? Finish strong. Build some momentum. Reverse the trend. Go into the offseason like a guy who has been, has been known for what? His most, he's the most professional guy in the clubhouse. That's how you finish a season, professionally, giving all you've got until you've got nothing left. He may have nothing left, but I still think it, it, it's, it's important for him to try to finish out this season. It's only three starts. David, I love when you start for my picking answer. a fight with me. I, <laughs> why didn't you hang up before you called? I, to be honest with you, David, if you watch these starts and you watch 
Kyle going to the third, now the fourth and the fifth inning, he's out of gas. So what does that mean? That means that he's physically struggling to get through the fifth inning now. At that point, when you see Kyle Hendricks walk people, which he doesn't do, and take it at another step, start hitting batters, which he doesn't do, and he's been doing in frequent starts, that means he's tired. That means there's fatigue. And with fatigue, with a pitcher throwing the ball 85 to 90 miles an hour, <clears throat> there is a chance for injury. You don't want that for Kyle Hendricks or any pitcher, but Kyle Hendricks being uh, the important pitcher that he is for the future of the Cubs, having, I think, three more years on a contract and being uh, still one of the best pitchers in baseball. And there's no doubt in my mind he is still. Right. Uh, right. I think the Cubs have tw- 41 quality starts this year. He's got 19 of them. He's still fourth in baseball in quality starts, even though his last seven starts, he is average uh, less than five innings, and he's given up 35 runs in those 35 innings. The, the fact is, this guy's out of gas. You know, he's out of juice right now. Why would you push the envelope? David, well, tell me what okay. you what you can prove out of this. Well, I don't think you're trying to prove anything. And I do believe, I, I think it would be different if we're talking about a young prospect who who might be a high-velocity guy. Maybe it's Alzali. Maybe it's somebody like Keegan Thompson. Maybe you are more careful with younger pitchers who are, you know, hasn't, haven't proven as much. I think with Kyle Hendricks, the threat of injury, he's been pretty durable. He's been a guy that has avoided injury. And I wonder, Bruce, and I do ask this seriously, how much of his lack of effectiveness is in the last month or so especially during this really tough stretch this is the first time Kyle Hendricks has ever pitched in October where there's nothing to be gained and he's not in a pennant race. Mentally, for somebody that is a thinking man's pitcher, I wonder if mentally not having the stakes as high as they typically are, if that affects his approach psychologically or maybe just how, how sharp he is each and every start. I, I think that's a, a really good uh, way of looking at it. I think it's an interesting uh, topic that you bring up because we don't know that. Uh, I, I think, and, and and professionally as a reporter, asking that question other than standing at his locker one-on-one right. would be difficult to do. So the, the, that's that's part of my job over the next couple of weeks is to talk to him about that perspective because if you do it on a Zoom or you do it in a public his answer can't be the same because he would be dissing the players that he's playing with right now if he answered directly to the to way you might think he might answer uh, in a comfortable, protected situation. So I think that's a real possibility uh, as well that, hey, uh, I don't know how to pitch right now with nothing at stake. But uh, Kyle being the pro that he is, and just being the, the, the lunch bucket guy he is, is, uh, you know, it's, it's so Kyle Hendricks-like. Like, I'm pitching to the end. That's what I'm paid to do. And I'm going to help my team try to win a couple more ball games. Admirable. But if I'm 
if I'm Jed Hoyer, I'm the front office. I'm uh, Dave, I'm David Ross. I'm sitting down having discussions about, hey, if we're going to kick ourselves in the butt a lot of times here, if uh, Kyle Hendricks gets hurt in these last two weeks, performing in games that are, are really not essential when we know he's worn out. It's not just resting your ace. It's resting a guy that's obviously worn out. It's a good debate, and it'll continue, and I think he's going to finish the season, but we will wait and see. Bruce, before we get out of here, we don't have a ton of time, but I did want to get your perspective and opinion on the American League MVP race. We talked about Shohei Otani, who's having a historic year at the plate and on the mound, which I think makes it different and makes it so historic. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is also doing historic things in Toronto for the Blue Jays. He could win the Triple Crown and finish second, I don't think third, but finish second in the MVP voting to Otani. Should he, if that were the case? Again, this comes back to that discussion of who's the best player and who's the most valuable player. It's one that we can never get away from. To me, the most valuable player is the guy that helps his team win more than most players on other teams. And in, in this case, you'd probably you'd probably side on Otani, but I think the contributions by Guerrero are more important because his team has a chance to make the playoffs. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. In this case, I don't have a great answer for you. I would just tell you, that what Otani's done uh, deserves recognition. I don't. Even, I don't know if we have a proper award, you know, because he's he's been a most valuable player and pitcher. Uh, in an ideal world, he would be a candidate for both both awards this year, right? MVP yeah, he, and he, yeah. and Cy and and uh, uh, Cy Young, but he's not. Uh, I would just say. I, I would go with Guerrero uh, just because he's a he's a hair away from being a triple crown award winner, leading his team uh, to a, a playoff most likely. I, I think that's it's an interesting answer, and I, I I'm not sure there's a wrong answer, but I do think baseball is steeped in tradition as the sport wants to be, and I think embraces more than any other sport. I don't think baseball wants to be on the wrong side of history here. When you have somebody doing what Otani has done and then to reflect back in 10 years 20 years and you look at whoa 2021 remember otani and and look what he did at the plate and on the mound and uh, why wasn't he mvp oh yeah vlad Guerrero jr won the triple crown or came very close to doing so that's why i would give him a slight edge i don't know that there's a wrong answer i'm not sure if co-mvps make sense bruce i like having one or the other so i think it probably if i yeah if i had to check a box right now it would be otani with Vlad Guerrero uh, Jr. being second. And how about Salvador Perez is going to hit 45 home runs and 112 runs batted in right now, and he's going to finish third. Any other year, that would be hands right. down, I think, the winner. Especially a, a catcher, 75% yeah. of his games as a catcher. I mean, that, that's you know above and beyond impressive. I, I want to spend one minute here asking you, David, what is it that um, Grody and Rosenblum do each Saturday? <laughs> They entertain. They inform. They, they do that. Yeah. And they, they do it they do it better than most. And guess what? What? That's coming up next. They're <laughs> they're coming up next. And I, I always listen and uh you know I, I enjoy it, but you never know what you're gonna hear on that show.
You never do know what you're going to hear. Mark Grody may be interviewing his cat by 1230. You never can tell because I think that is the, <laughs> the beauty of listening to, to what David. do they call it, Saturday Suckage. We have uh, people to thank. Go ahead. Read our list off, David. Yeah, we had, we had a great guest list today, Elise Meneker from the Marquee Sports Network. She joined us. Also, James Fegan from The Athletic, Adam Studzinski in the studio doing his work, and he's had quite a week, and he's getting ready for a big Bears Sunday. Bruce, thank you for your time and your opinions. All of them, almost all of them I agreed with. The ones that I didn't, well, there's always next week. David, uh, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine, and uh, on our website, I write White Sox and Cubs at 670thescore.com. David, uh, I always value your opinions, even when you're wrong. <laughs> even when I'm wrong. We'll be back here next week. <laughs> Stay tuned. we got Grody and Rosenblum. Bears all access it, too. you got the Bears pregame show tomorrow, 9 o'clock, with Mully, Pat Manley, and Olin Krutz. Thanks for listening inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.